Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com I just realized I don't know how we want to start this. <laughs> I mean, I think we just kind of did. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. This is <laughs> Scarred for Life, the podcast where we uh, reopen old wounds by taking a look back at the films that scarred us as, as kids. Um, I'm one of your hosts, Terry. I'm your other host, Mary Beth. And this time it's a little bit different. We don't have a special guest. We're just sort of like uh, wrapping up the year. Mm-hmm. And looking back at the uh, the movies this year that really uh, kind of affected us, yeah, and like looking forward at the in the new year, yeah. Um, so like our next two episodes are going to be a little bit different because mm-hmm. there's this one, and then uh, you'll come back next week for some special guests as we look back on the decade. I forgot a lot of things that came out in the past decade. <laughs> Yeah, me too. I'm doing really... research for the list. I was like, oh my god, I don't remember anything from like the first half of the decade. <laughs> I know it, it's I there. I was looking back at like some of the Wikipedia lists and stuff, and thinking, man, I didn't realize that this came out then. And I, it's just I amazing know. the stuff that's kind of changed over the last ten years. But uh, but we'll right? get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that next time. Next week, <laughs> I'm really excited to hear what our guests have come up with with that one. Yeah, but this is just the two of us. Just so. the two of us. Uh-uh. We can make. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, so before we get to kind of like the year wrap up, what have you watched recently, Mary Beth? Wow, what have I watched recently? I watched Black Christmas. <gasps> Me recently. too. I know we have different opinions on it. We do, but um, <laughs> I want to hear from you. Okay, I absolutely loved it. I mean, yeah. That does not mean, in any, in me saying that does not mean that there are not problems and that there are some issues with the movie, but I mm-hmm. think I can look past those because this is a movie that is all about female rage and like accurately representing that. 
in a way that like really encapsulates, I think it's like post Kavanaugh stuff really encapsulates this kind of rage that has been building and building and it expresses that rage in the most unsubtle way possible, which I think is fucking a badass. Like, yeah, people were annoyed that they have like the kind of me Too speak and like a lot of like kind of woke dialect or dialogue. Mm -hmm. But honestly, like as someone who just graduated um, from with my master's from like a pretty big campus, People talk like that. And, like, it might be annoying to you, but, like, that's actually what a lot of college dialogue is, is like right now. And it is a little bit cringy, I will admit, but, like, it is not really that far off from the things, the conversations I've heard on camp, like, at campuses. So, I mean, I think hats off to them for those dialogues, like, the conversations people have about white patriarchal, like, writers and, like, rewriting the canon, like, literary canon. I know it's a very brief part of it, but, like, that was a big part of my actual experience in grad school and in trying to, like, reassess what it means, like, what classic film means and mm -hmm. why is this canon the one that we consider classics. I don't know. I just, like, a lot of that felt very accurate and even if it's cringy like that is the way a lot of, like, young women talk on college campuses. Which I think it's great to see that. Yeah. Because... I feel like sorority girls are always depicted as like dumb blondes who are mm -hmm. drunk all the time. And this, and like the, I have so many, I'm sorry. I'm like rambling. I have so no. many feelings about this, but like, so in, in the slasher and the usual slasher that we see, um, like, like the original black Christmas, like sorority girls are right for the picking. And there is a very stereotypical representation of them as drinking as having sex and I think this is the slasher for the new decade, I think. I mean, people might not like it, and maybe it's not even a slasher, but these are what girls look like now. And I think we're trying to rewrite what a final girl means. We're rewriting what it means to fight back against patriarchal control. And I think it's a really important film that kind of tries to rewrite the generic tropes we're so used to. And I know it's that's nothing new. Like, a lot of directors have tried to do that and subvert tropes. And this one did it in such an obvious way that I think people were thrown off by it. Mm -hmm. But I was really excited by it. And I think... I think... I've seen a lot of comments about how they handled trauma, um, especially the main character, Riley's trauma, and how that she shouldn't have been forced by her friends to fight back and be ready when they say she should be ready, which I, actually, I partially agree with. I think that is yeah. a very, like intense way to address trauma and like yeah it's very important to have support in that situation but also like having your friend force you is kind of i don't know it's it's a very weird way to portray it and i know the point was like sisterhood but at the same time it did seem to kind of like be forcing a survivor to do something that maybe she wasn't wanting to do yeah um I, on, on the opposite side of that though i mean movies don't have to reflect the perfect world right yeah, I and think so. I yeah. I, I feel I feel like that them that kind of pushing from your friends is kind of uh, a normal reaction in some ways. Like yeah. I, I, I don't I don't feel like I mean, yes, is it if you look back at it, yes, it probably isn't the best way to handle trauma, but is it a realistic thing that um, women have to go through and, and men and and assault survivors have to go through with that yeah. kind of push from, from people? I mean I I think so. Yeah, I think I I was more on the positive side about the representation because, like, I like to be very real. I've been sexually assaulted, and I mm -hmm. wish I had had someone in, like on my side like that. And like, yeah, it's pushy, right? 
but I think I could have personally, and this is my personal opinion, obviously right, everyone all of it. feels differently and everyone yes. needs different things like, when they're dealing with PTSD, but I think having someone to tell you and try to help push you out of it, I think is important, or at least someone who supports you. And like, the thing is, in that, in that whole scenario, they believed her, which is I think, right. the most important part. And I think it's an important, I just feel like it's such an important thing for young female horror fans to see women being treated like actual creatures, like not, not as creatures, but as like actual as human humans. beings yeah. that like, and another thing I was thinking about was like how the female body is treated so differently in this movie and how it's like there are a lot of deaths, like there's a lot of death of women but, like, the screaming isn't, like, orgasmic. It's full of rage. And I mm-hmm. think it's... I don't know how to describe how I got that difference. But for this, like, screaming had a different, like, vibe around it. The screaming that we usually think of as, like, as orgasmic, almost sexual, feel, felt, like, so much more angry. Right. And I think that is, like, a, another big difference in, in this movie as opposed to, like, other slashers. And I, I think what it comes down to is labeling this movie as Black Christmas was its detriment. Yes. Um <laughs> Boy, there, there's a lot that I, I there's a lot of things I was thinking about as you, as you were talking that I sorry kind of I didn't mean to. to just like take that out of control. No, I just like no, I think the conversation around it right now is really toxic from not it, like from you or anyone. I just think a lot of people are being very shitty and like calling Sophia to call a cunt on Twitter and yes. like going after her. And I think that like it's just absolutely disgusting the way people are reacting to this movie. Well, it's sort of it, I mean it, it's ironic, and I mean we're not I'm not the first person to point this out, but like. Everyone's like, ah, I don't need this movie to be this this uh, vocal, but um, you just called her the c word. So yeah. like, obviously, it does need to be talked about still. Obviously, it still is an issue because otherwise, you wouldn't have such a uh, strong reaction, um, an appropriate exactly. reaction well, to like, to this movie. And like when I was in the theater, like. I saw it at, like, 12 p.m. on a Saturday, so it wasn't as crowded, but there were still people, there were, like, like very, like, easily identifiable men scoffing at parts of it. And I was, like, and I was laughing. I was alone, and I was laughing, and I thought these parts were so funny, and people were scoffing at parts. I'm, like, oh, Mm -hmm. this is not for you, friend. Like, (laughs) ooh, boo, no. (laughs) Well, and I I think that that's sort of, like, I mean, that kind of goes into the the bigger conversation that's happening right now in in fandoms is that not necessarily everything has to be for you, dude. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so going back to one of the things you said um, about how, the, the the dialogue some people see it as like too woke or whatever um or like not accurate and you said that you think as someone that's coming out of you know the graduate program that that it is i i completely agree and i actually um when you were saying that i went to go search because i actually got a tweet from someone when i was uh when i said i was about to go watch black christmas and it's uh Derek sykes and they say as someone in college this movie reads much better than many old people i've mm-hmm. seen talk about it yeah, and I I, th- I think that this is people may scoff at it. The older generation may scoff at it, but I th- I think that this is the way we're talking now. And so many people talk about that and are tuned into these issues and are trying to address it all the time. And it is frustrating when it's like, oh, it's too woke. No one talks like that. It's cringy. I'm like, well, maybe young people are actually like really trying to be more political in their and their actions and really want to address these things. I mean. We had pl- we had petitions at University of Chicago for pe- like professors 
um, the like, acting similar to like Carrie Elvis's character did, mm-hmm. and it's just like I don't know. It just is frustrating when people want to like sign off, like sign things. Oh, that that's not the right phrase. What is the phrase I'm trying to think of? A, mm. Not sign off. Whatever. Basically, dismiss. <laughs> dismiss is what I like. Dismiss, dismiss it, yeah. the film, and it's just like. Like I said before, ultimately, I just think the title really fucked it over. Yes. Um, so I, I think that, like, I, you know, I, I didn't really, I mean, we, we had kind of had a conversation offline about this, but um, this movie didn't really resonate with me in the, in the last third. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the first two acts. I really thought it was, I, I wanted to spend more time with the sorority sisters. I thought they were mm-hmm. very entertaining and very interesting and felt like real people. I loved the, uh, the one, I, I don't know, I don't know her name, but the one that kind of, kind of runs in in the beginning and is like, Oh my gosh, I have a test in 10 minutes. I don't, can't find my diva cup. Oh like, yeah. Franny, I think. Is that her name? I, I, I love, so. I loved her, the, her kind of character. And I love the, the um the activist um friend yeah. for Riley like these are I I enjoyed them so much and I'll be perfectly honest when I went in I was expecting there to be a lot more quote unquote woke dialogue and stuff yeah. because everyone was bitching about it but it it didn't really stick out to me um and so that kind of that kind of su- surprised me like I obviously there's some dialogue there and there there was one exchange I can't remember exactly what it was about but one exchange that felt a little too on the nose for me but like for the most part the way they talked I, this is how I've seen kids and college students talking right now yep yep and I just like I think it has I think there are some times where they try to like cram especially towards the third act I think we try to cram a lot of like the toxic masculinity terms and at the yeah. end and i was like "Ooh, well Mate, that's a lot like a couple of like you said on the nose comments where i was like ay, ay, ay. but yeah i mean it, it, in some ways i i did find some of it a little inelegant inelegant oh my god inelegant in yeah. its in its dial in its like choice of of discussion but it at the end of the day that's not the part that that bothered me i mean I, I started I was thinking about as I was watching it um, a movie that came out last year Assassination Nation mm-hmm. I actually haven't see that? seen I have not seen it oh my god Mary Beth you really need to see it I know it. I, I that, know this it, it kind of tackles a similar um, a similar theme okay and it is if, if you think this movie is like <laughs> um, blunt that movie is like a baseball bat to the head. Like it is yeah. angry. It is it is pissed off at the way things are going. Mm-hmm. Um but it shares a lot of the same kind of DNA that I saw in in this 2018 Black Christmas. Yeah. Um I I just All right. We're going to have to little talk about this cuz so if you don't want to know anything at all about the last third, just like skip ahead. Yeah, well, in the sh- when the show notes will will mark when we stop talking about Black Christmas so you can yeah. skip ahead to that. Because like I just I I don't I, I we got to talk about it. Yeah, I think we do. So all sorry right. guys, just check the show notes to figure out when you can skip. So I would skip right skip now. Now. All right. So the end of the movie goes into like this kind of cult supernatural yeah. angle to it. And that is where I got lost. I, it mm-hmm. completely lost me. And the movie had set up this event in the very beginning. Like, there's definitely some, like, uh, very obvious clues that it's going to head in this direction. I just, 
it just really kind of muddled the theme for me. Okay. Um, except for one one aspect of it. I did like the fact that, in a way, there's like the subtext of this scene where they are basically um, taking pledges and through this ritual making them kind of these mindless slaves that are going to go forward and they're going to place them in areas outside of um, the college in like, you know, very powerful places. And I mean, there's an obvious, obvious message there about how um, organizations that are focused on the kind of like toxicity and like shaping people into a toxic role are going to put these people out in the world of power. I mean, you look at like secret societies and who is like, part of them in college and now it has like positions of power in the world so you can like it's fucking weird (laughs) it is so there's like there's that aspect of it that i thought worked really well it just it just sort of like i don't know i was i was all on board with this like very grounded story that takes a turn into black sludge pouring out of a bust yeah i think there's a reading that i didn't there's a reading there where you could make basically seem like they took the responsibility out of like a lot of the people's hands but like in my in my mind not every single guy was under the control and like the guys like the two pledges and not the pledges the two like frat bros in charge didn't seem like they were under the influence of this black magic cult and so in my head it was like the rapists spreading like their lies to other people and how those lies infect other men and build like basically an army of women haters. Mm-hmm. That's a very deep reading for something that probably isn't that deep, but that's how I saw it as like the kind of toxicity that leaks from rapists and like how it can really infiltrate the minds of others and turn them against women without really any second thought. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, 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 I think you're spot on with that. I completely agree. That's that's how I read it. I, I just um, I don't know. Like I guess that's there's. Fair. The... I mean, like also like just because I have that reading doesn't mean you have to like it. Like no, I, I, it is it is very like out of left field and very like whoa whoa whoa. The tone of this, like you said, the tone of this movie is completely changed. It just, yeah, it's very strange and like the final like battle, which I fucking loved. I thought it was awesome and hilarious. Um, oh, I was laughing. It's so good. It was like she had the menorah. <laughs> so good. Yeah. It, it, there is. Yeah. It, it. I. I liked. I liked the the finale. I liked. I liked the the first about mm, two thirds maybe. Yeah. Um. It just and, and like I said, I I love the the subtext, the the stuff that you just caught on with, like there that you just talked about with the theme. Yeah. Um. I love that. I just. I didn't like maybe I guess the execution of it. Yeah, no, I can agree. I can agree with that one hundred percent. It is like a very jarring way to end it, from yeah. the way like the whole thing goes beforehand. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. But I will say, um, kind of piggybacking off this off of something that you said earlier. When I when I went to go, I saw this um, opening night, and the theater was not very packed, but there was a lot of um, younger girls, um, <gasps> oh teenagers in the yeah. movie. And um, I went to go see it with my two best friends who were both women. Um, and, you know, in the beginning when they're when they're kind of like doing the little song and dance at the frat, um, my my friends are like throwing their fists in the air like, yeah, right on. And I hear people behind me um, talking about just like going, yeah, fuck yeah. And like talking about that. So like I it obviously there, there's a resonance here, and I think yeah. that that is that is so important, regardless of what I I find or flaws in the movie. The fact that that I'm sitting in a in a theater full of 
teenagers and and a lot of women that are you know cheering these badass bitches on just <laughs> it was it was awesome to see um and it, it kind of proved the point of its necessity in some exactly. ways exactly and like i even cried at some parts because parts of it resonated with my own experience of being sexually assaulted in college and like mm-hmm. i just don't I don't know. I've just seen, like... And, like, if a woman doesn't like this movie, that is totally, like, fine. And if a man doesn't like this movie, again, fine. But a lot of the reviews I've read written by men, it's like, this is not for you. And I just... I really want to commend all of the sites out there that have been asking women to review this. Mm -hmm. Or, like, non... Like, basically any, like, non-cis... Like, not not a cis heterosexual man to write a review of this. I think that is so important to, like prioritize that like women's perspectives on this movie because this is ultimately a woman like a movie made by women written by women for women yes and it's like i'm sorry if you feel that's like 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 that's alienating to you but also like maybe realize that like it shouldn't feel as alienating as it does you know what i mean like i feel like some people are just so closed off to like the idea of like any kind of woke feminism stuff and like addressing issues of masculinity and it's like I'm being attacked like right. no you are not being attacked like you should maybe just watch this and have a better understanding of where maybe women are coming from mm-hmm. um, like I, I mean I'm not I'm not trying to compare the two movies but in terms of like bluntness maybe um, I don't see much different in the dialogue and the kind of overt um, discussions in this movie as I saw in get out a couple years ago. Oh, interesting. Okay. I don't think this movie is as, as elegant as that movie. I think yeah. it's a little, I think, like I said, I think there's, there's problems with it and it's, I'm not comparing the quality yeah. in, from my perspective to get out. But in terms of like, I think it's interesting that everyone is calling out. I, cause I've, I've read a lot of reviews from straight white men on this movie and they all focus so much on this woke dialogue or the the fact that it's you know it's not subtle and i'm like neither neither was get out i mean you you literally had no. a person in that movie saying you know like oh I, you know i would i would vote for obama a third term or you have like the the people at the party literally quoting the kind of subtle racist dialogue back to the main character yeah so it's that is is as as blunt as this movie is. So I, I, it kind of, I think it's telling that there are people that are um, talking about the dialogue in this movie that might not have brought it up or have championed it in a movie like Get Out. I agree. And I mean, like, I think Get Out, outside of critics, definitely got as much, probably just as much, if not more shit than oh, yeah. Christmas. No, absolutely. But like in terms of, like you said, with critical reception, I think I absolutely agree. And someone I was, my friend Danita, who has a really good podcast, we really like her, plugging for them. Um, she had a really good, she tweeted. What was her I, podcast? I, um, we really like her. Oh, we really like Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're saying like, we really like her, like. No, no, no. I her really podcast like her. is really, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she, I, I just tweeted like a small thread about Black Christmas and how important I thought it was. And she goes, women are, like, women have always had to be subtle. Maybe it's time to fuck subtlety and let us scream in everyone's faces. And yes. Like, it's time, mm. motherfuckers. Like, yes. <laughs> it's, and she's so right. Like, it's time for this fucking war cry and we should be allowed to scream as loud as we want and fuck subtlety. Like, let us be, me- let us be messy. Like, women are messy, as, like, just like men. And men get to make messy movies all the time that aren't good and they still get directing jobs. Like, 
fuck it. Let them make a messy movie. And that messy movie was a fucking awesome movie to me. So, like, I just have a lot of feelings and a lot of anger. And I had a panic attack yesterday because I was so mad. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not joking. (laughs) It was just getting so heated. I I, I need to stop reading reviews online because I was just like, fuck you. And I was getting very angry. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of why I wanted to have this discussion because, like, (laughs) I I just – yeah. I, I just I see so many reviews out there um from the male perspective that I don't feel kind of uh encapsulates what the movie's trying to go for. Yeah, and I think I think the loyalty to the name Black Christmas and the idea that it was a slasher really threw people off. The PG thirteen I think the PG thirteen rating did fuck it a little bit. I yeah. totally understand why it was PG thirteen and and it wanting to appeal, but I think just like the lack of the gore was a little bit sad for me because I'm disgusting. But no, it was it was for me too because like there's so many things where they either cut away from it, yeah, or they only show like a portion of it and like don't like. W- there's one girl that's found with like a I don't is it an axe or something in her face? It you looks can't like even an, quite an tell. axe or like a piece of glass or something. And I'm like, okay, so we're just going to like hint at it, and you could tell that cuts were made in this movie. Yeah, um, and I think so. Again, like in my like intensely feminist reading of this film that is not even closely related to like trying to appeal to different audiences. It felt to me very interesting in the context of slashers always wanting to show the brutalization of the female body. And in this one, they kind of stayed away from that. That's true. I know why, like from an actual like logistical level, they wanted to make a PG-13 and appeal to younger people. But it is an interesting way to kind of look at it as avoiding that entire brutalization of the female body and like those really weird like phallic deaths even though they have like mm-hmm. there's a nice there's an icicle stabbing like obviously that's pretty phallic right that was a, that was a pretty cool kill i will say yeah but i just i feel like it, it, some more gore would have done them would have done them good yeah but that's and okay. I understand that there's probably like a marketing reason for using Black Christmas, um, you know, to like draw yeah, excitement. I, but I really wish it wasn't called Black Christmas I because know. it doesn't. Well, that's it doesn't. Li- oh, sorry. I don't even know what I'm what I'm trying to say. It's just it doesn't really have any of the hallmarks of that movie like yeah i i mean you can make like a a case like you know the the suspiria remake from last year like it totally blew up the story of of what um dario argento did back in you know the 70s but Mm -hmm. you could see the the dna there and outside of the fact that this is a sorority and it's dealing with a pertinent issue because back then you know there was the whole idea of the abortion i i don't think it was yeah. i don't think it's any coincidence that it happened after um, i want to say like a year or two after roe v wade okay yeah so like you know there's there's that kind of um aspect to it but other than that there's really no con- connection yeah and i feel like a lot of the hate it got before it even came out was because it was connected to mm-hmm. a classic that a lot of sorry guys but fanboys were like attached to it just got so much vitriol from people who are like, oh, feminist slasher. And it's yeah. just... People shouldn't have that reaction in the fucking first place. Like, but... No. It just, like... 
I think this whole thing, I mean, I know that people are terrible, but this, like, just the discussion on this movie is just, it made me very upset. <laughs> it's made and, like, me very upset from the very first time. That yeah, and I it. think I ignored it for a while because I was like, I can't, like, I can't inject myself into this because it's going to make me feel like shit. And I was like, I just know I'm excited for it and I want to mm-hmm. let that excitement ride. And I love Sophia Tacall. I love April Wolf. I was like, I oh, just yeah. need to let it ride and, like, be excited for them and just to keep keep it positive. <laughs> Yeah. And now it's not, I just like, it makes me upset. Well, every single time that the movie got uh, brought up in conversation or, you know, first it was that they're making a black Christmas remake. Oh, oh, oh. And then it was the fact that it was being written and directed by two women. Oh, oh, oh. And then the trailer came out and people are bitching about the trailer showing too much. And then there's like the PG, th- like this movie has just been every single time it's in, in, in dialogue has been shat on. Well, and then Joe Bob Briggs targeted it. <laughs> oh God! Even though he says he didn't, he totally did. Like it will, and like it was because he retweeted that article about the movie mm-hmm. and put that con- he quote tweeted it and said that. And I was like, "You're ta- like even if you aren't technically talking about it, you you did it above this article. Like, are you just an idiot? <laughs> Probably. Right. But like, you are directly attacking a new horror female filmmaker, and like, does you don't understand the optics of what that looks like." And how you're encouraging trolls at this point. And, like, well, I mean, a lot of people push back against him, which I appreciate. And I'm so glad I follow the right people on Twitter who, like, were pushing back. <laughs> but, like, the, God, it just, I just feel an immense sense of, like, not pride is not the right word. But just, like, I just, I'm so excited for Sophia to call on April Wolf. And, like, I just feel... I don't even know what the right word is for how I feel about just them like championing this and like really taking it as best they can and just yeah. like doing what they wanted to do and supporting their vision through all the bullshit. And like, I just, I respect it. I think that's what it is. Like, I just respect them so much as filmmakers and as creators. And like, I don't know, they, they, they fucking swung for it and maybe they missed a couple times, but you know what? They fucking did it. And I just yep. like, that's all you can really you just be proud of that and the fact that it got like big distribution in a movie like this like right there's a similar movie called mfa have you seen it Terry? no it's been on my my queue to watch um so it does a lot of this like black christmas and mfa do a lot of the similar things and it's rape revenge isn't it yes and it's so i actually would want to write a whole thing about how black christmas 2019 is a rape revenge movie but i won't get into that now um <laughs> <laughs> but mfa is much more directly a um, rape revenge movie it's not and it's on a college campus there's a lot of dialogue it's a very similar dialogue done very differently mm-hmm. and they're both i think it'd be an amazing double feature i think they are amazing companion pieces mfa was directed by a woman natalia elite i think it has a oh, lot they're, they're talking they have they're basically in conversation with one another and i think it's they're very good films and so if you want more something like, want more movies like black christmas that you like something like Black Christmas, really check out MFA because that's very good. And assassin- I need to see Assassination Nation too. Yes, I've- I think you really would like that. And I think that Assassination Nation was just as decisive as Black Christmas. Oh, it totally Christmas. was. So- but like, I don't think it got as much vitriol because it yeah. was uh, directed by a man. Well, and also it was like super indie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like, again, it doesn't have this like, have like a, a franchise behind it or any kind of like association with any other like past film history stuff and i think that probably was part of why it didn't get as much vitriol but definitely being directed by a man had something to do with it for sure yeah. 
Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Black Christmas, y'all. That's Black Christmas. <laughs> Please go see it before you make a judgment on it. Yeah. You're you're allowed and this you know what? You are allowed to dislike it, but you are not allowed to be an asshole about why you dislike it. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> but I that's mean, the here thing. You, here you go. We just had a, a nice conversation coming from two different angles of it. And exactly. And like that's the thing I think people don't we understand. We still love each other, so <laughs> Exactly. Like that's the thing I don't think people understand. It's like I don't care that you dislike it. I just don't want you to be a dick about it. Right. Like dislike things all you want. Dislike just, it for the right reasons. Yeah, exactly. People. Like, dislike it and have a conversation and not just be like, it's fucking trash because of this. And I'm not going to mm-hmm. listen to your opinion. It's like, well, that's how you start a pro- Like, this is why there's so many problems online. No one wants to just, like, in- like engage in any kind of discourse or dialogue. It's just, like, a lot of screaming. And it's very frustrating. Yeah. It, anyway. It's almost <laughs> as if, like, it's, like, art uh, representing real life. Yeah, for real. A bunch real. of screaming and anger and... <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, All right. I guess there are other things we could talk about besides Black Christmas. <laughs> no, I think I think I think it's a good discussion. Um, yeah. And I think it's a I, I think it's a necessary discussion. Um, and I was really I was really curious because um what how you you felt of it because um I, I like I said we had a little bit of an offline conversation, and uh, I just I I think it's important to see that you can have two different perspectives on it that I don't know aren't. Yeah, and, like, yeah. that are, like, it's, like, very much an agree-to-disagree thing in, like, a polite way, like, in a way mm-hmm. that we can talk about it and understand each other and not be mad at the other person for not liking it or for liking it, like... Yeah. It's important. It's art, pe- man. Yeah, it's art, man. <laughs> anyway, have you been watching anything else, Terry? <laughs> or is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we jump into, like, a year-end review? Um, well, I did go to, to PAX... Um, Ugh, so packs cool. Unplugged. And uh, I, I mean, I don't, I, you know, it's a board game. So like it's a board game convention. So it's not exactly uh, movie related, but I did get to see a couple really cool games that um, are either out or coming out that I think if you are a fan of board games and or horror, you might be interested in like cool. um, one called Abomination. Um, okay. And it is out now. You can order it. I saw it on Amazon. I'm thinking about ordering it. And it takes place in Paris after um, the Frankenstein story. And oh. you play as um, scientists that are trying to um, make a human body, like bring back a creature to be a companion for the creature from Frankenstein. <gasps> And so you are like competing. Um, the players are all competing against each other to build their creation first. And it's I hear I had I didn't get to play it. They weren't showcasing it, but I did see oh. a lot of the stuff behind it. But basically, I hear that it's very dark. Um, so like it's very grisly because you're basically you're doing what Frankenstein had to do in the in the movie. You're going yeah. out to cemeteries and like getting body parts and trying to select the best parts and you're you can kill people in the dark alley and use their parts like so it's very like um nihilistic in that regard and i guess the art is very graphic in some cases oh boy um but like it's it's just it the the idea of trying it's almost like a worker placement game where you have to like spend your resources in different areas to try to like get different body parts and like create your 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 creature before the other side can so there's like uh, strategy in placing your your workers in specific areas and all that kind of stuff but it just the thematic aspect of it looked really cool 
and um, it just looks like a fun game. And yeah, it's, I'm looking it at pictures out. of it right now, and it's pretty gross. Yeah, and it, it's weird because like the, the the cover of the box is is very um, kind of bright and cartoony, but like if you see some of the like cards that are in it, I mean, it's it's They're, about it's pretty gross dismemberment and decapitations and like bodies it. will will if you don't use them if they start to deteriorate and ah! decompose so like it's it's definitely a very kind of gross game but i think for for horror fans that love board games it probably is going to be right up your alley cool i just sent it to my boyfriend i'm like hey you need another board game <laughs> and then this other game that was like the biggest hit of the show um that i wasn't as big on but i think i think people will love is called sanctum Okay. And it's coming out in February, and it's basically Diablo the board game. Oh, okay. Um, so, like, you have different classes, and you're basically marching on to kill the big Diablo-esque monster, and you kill creatures and get loot and level up and open up abilities and stuff. It's just, um, so it's, it's, it's very much what you would expect kind of a board game centered around Diablo to be. That seems it like just, way too complicated. <laughs> it actually isn't. Like oh, I, you played it. it. I I did get to play that game. They cool. were demoing it, and we managed to get in. Um, and I guess it was the most demoed game of of packs. They had it, oh. they opened up its own little room for it, um, because people were were hankering for it. And they had like a limited amount of copies, and they sold out like in the first day. Like it just. Okay. It's a big it's a big hit. Comes out in February. Okay. Um I my biggest complaint about it was that um it's it's competitive against each other, not cooperative, but oh, it's okay. not really competitive in that I felt very alone playing it. Like you don't really oh, there's no real interactions between your characters. You just sort of like I guess try to get the better loot <laughs> and survive okay. at the end. Okay. But so I, I thought that was a little eh. Okay, but um, a lot of I'm I'm in the minority. A lot of people really loved it, and I think that if you like Diablo and you want a board game representation, this is probably one of the best um, kind of semi adaptations of it. It's not in any way related to Diablo, but it's, it's Diablo. Similar. Okay, <laughs> cool. But yeah, I mean that, that's awesome. it for me. Um, did you see anything else? Um, or- I haven't seen anything else, but I do want to plug a book from this year. Yes. Um, that I've I haven't finished it yet. I'm about um I think I'm like almost halfway through it. It's called The Reddening. The Red Yes, I have that. Have you read it? Um no, but um okay. I, I ordered it. Um The Reddening by it, Adam Neville. Yes. It the is a book it looked, is Oh sorry. No, the book just looked beautiful. That's why I ordered yes. it. <laughs> totally a judge a book by its cover. <laughs> oh yes. So this is by the author who wrote The Ritual, which is which is made into the movie, the Netflix movie. Oh, shit. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So he writes a lot of folk horror. So The Reddening is British folk horror. And so if you guys like folk horror, you need to check this out. Like, I'm only halfway through, but it's already bonkers. It's about, like, weird cult in the British countryside on this, like, the British Ooh. seaside. And there's a lot of weird stuff going on. People painted red, something underground. Um, it's very Lovecraftian. There's mm. a lot of like feeling senses of dread and feeling very small. And it is absolutely beautiful. The writing is so good and it's very compelling. So, and it came out this year. So I would urge everyone to pick it up if you can, if you, even if you just want to get it on Kindle, it's like four bucks on Kindle. Do it's it. It's totally worth it. Um, I saw someone tweeting about it, and they because they had ordered a copy mm-hmm. from um, the web, Neville's website, and it comes like in a hardback and signed and stuff. And I saw it, and I was like, oh. "That cover 
is gorgeous. Yeah, I must have this book. And so I just ordered it. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but it is sitting. It is sitting on my my desk right in front of me. I can't stop reading it. Like it's one of these books that I'm reading while I'm walking home from my commute, which I never ever do. And like it's so wow. stupid. Guys, don't do that. Um, but like I can't put it down. It's so good. But it's like I'm trying to put it down so I don't finish it quickly. It's one of these books that like I, I want to devour and both not be done with ever. I love those kind of books. I know. It's amazing. So please check it out. If you guys are looking for something to read or something a gift to even give to a horror fan, it's like the perfect book. It's gorgeous. The book. The cover is if... beautiful. It's creepy as fuck, but it's yeah. gorgeous. It's bright red. Um, it's very good. So please give it a read. I'm glad to hear it's really good. Cause of, yes. And I, I totally didn't realize it was by the guy that wrote The, the yeah. Ritual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ritual is so on, good. On a, it's on, on Reddit, one of like the horror like subreddits I've been, they were recommending folk horror books and I haven't really read any folk horror. So I'm excited that this was my first one to really jump into. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Cool. So now that we've talked about all that. Yeah. So before we start talking about movies, do we want to just talk about like our years as writers and as podcasters? And Yes. Cool. Yes. This has been quite a year mary but it has been quite a year <laughs> boy oh boy has it been a year um cause I, i've been I, I like to think back about the year as, as we're moving into the new one and i mean you know this so much is going like a shit fire in, <laughs> in the in like the world right now but yeah there there's been some really good things that happened this year yeah. and some of them are gonna be a little sappy because i mean yeah. I kind of met you this year. Yay. I, I wasn't sure when we started following each other, but this was the year that I felt like I got to know you. Yes. And I'm I'm super thankful that I did because this is this has been a ride over the last few months, and I I just I can't wait to see where we go with it. I know. And I'm so glad that we get to chat a couple times a week Me about too. movies. It's been <laughs> like realizing how similar we are as people, and like. Um, and just kind of like, sorry, one second. Um, just like getting to know each other and finally, like I've always wanted to do a podcast like this. So finally getting a chance to do a podcast has been amazing. And especially with someone like you and it has just been like a great experience. And like you said, I can't wait to see like what, where we go from here. Yeah. Yay. So, I mean, that was big. Yeah, that's a um, pretty big one. Sorry, this podcast <laughs> is pretty big. Um, and then this also involved you, but for, for me personally, the um, the fact that for Pride Month, I managed to get 30 other people to help raise over $2,000 for the Trevor Project. Oh, yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, the month of Pride. It just really, it blew me away, the support, and I loved reading everyone's articles your article everyone it just it that was like i didn't think would would be top this year and then it did get topped by this podcast and some other things but like for, for like i felt really good about that and i felt really happy that people would came together to yeah to do that and i'm hopefully it'll be even bigger next year that's what i'm hoping yeah i think it will be um, I think it was a great start. Um, I've got my master's degree this year. Yes. That's pretty cool, I guess. Um, it is cool. <laughs> I got my master's degree. I think I've really started, like, writing a lot more for, like, different places and really pitching myself this year. Yes. Um, 
which was really exciting. I got to write for some big sites, which has just been, like, really awesome. I feel like I really grew as a writer. This year was, like, a big year for me growing as a writer and really realizing how much I like it and enjoy it. That's awesome. Yeah. It's been pretty – I mean, like, freelancing is hard, and I'm glad I have a full-time job on top of it. Yeah. Because it sucked when I was just a freelancer. But I just really have, like, come a long way in terms of my writing and stuff, so I'm pretty happy about that. You have. I love, I love, I love it whenever there's a new article coming out from you. And I'm not just saying that because you're doing a podcast together. <laughs> I, I really, um, I'm, I'm really, I'm really proud of you. I love oh. that you got your master's degree because that's something that has been on the back of my mind and want to do and to see you do it. And I just, I love it. Oh, <laughs> I you. told you guys it's going to be sappy. Sappy. Yeah. <laughs> uh. And I mean, I guess for me, the other big thing that happened was that something that I've been wanting for, for so many years to get Rotten Tomatoes approved. Right. Oh, my God. That's right. That was this year. It was. Oh, my and God. That, this year has felt fake. I know. It, it's something that I, I'd been wanting for years. And like I had looked up the process of applying for it for so many years, even though I wasn't doing as much writing as I have been recently. And then... The fact that it happened, it literally like, I cried so hard when it happened. It just, it was one of those things. It was like a a goal of mine. And I, at 38 to like, feel like I kind of started life new, anew this year has been, been pretty crazy after some kind of shitty last few years. So I don't know. It's just this year on a personal level has been, has just felt really good. I'm also very proud of you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> hey, guys. Sappy. We, we warned you. Yeah, I told you. told you guys. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about before we I don't think talk so. movies? I don't think so. All right. Movies now. So, <laughs> the whole point of this episode, before we talk about our favorites of this year, we kind of wanted to like talk about some movies that we saw this year that are probably going to come out. Um, in 2020, hopefully, um, that we saw at festivals and whatnot that we think you guys should add to your list. Um, do you want to start, Mary Beth? <sighs> yes. Okay. So I was lucky enough this year also to cover a lot more festivals um, remotely and actually in Same. person. It was a great year for that. And so I saw a lot of really good movies that either haven't gotten distribution yet or... Um, or have distribution and they're coming out next year. Um, but some of the favorites I saw were The Last to See Them, which is an Italian film, um, which is basically like what's lead- the, the moments leading up to when like a serial killer comes and murders a family. Mm-hmm. And it's very slow. It's not necessarily like a traditional horror movie, but it's beautifully done and I think just beautifully shot and it's very sad in a weird way. It's like very melancholy. Um, I enjoyed it. I loved it so much, and I don't know when it's getting distribution, but I hope it does soon. Have you seen that one, Terry? Did you get I, a chance? I saw I it. Did. I saw it. Oh, you, okay. Did you see it? It's an apocalypse too. Um, yeah, I got, I got a, a screener for that one. Okay. Um, you saw it in the theater, right? At, yes, it's an apocalypse. I did. See, I kind of wish that I had, because um, it just it was a little too slow for me. <laughs> Okay, uh, that's fair. I mean, that's fair. That's like oh, what a lot of reviews I've seen have said it's really slow. It really worked for me. Yeah, but I, I get like 
why it wouldn't for some other people. And well, and it it, it won like I think the audience award or something. It did. It at, won some sort of award. Yeah, I at Cinepocalypse. So I mean, I, I definitely I agree. Definitely check it out for sure. Yeah, and then when I was at TIFF, I saw mm-hmm. a lot of really good stuff. Um, but the two I really wanted to push are The Vigil, which is a story about Orthodox Jewish possession, which mm-hmm. I think is awesome because, again, it's like we've talked, I think I meant, I've mentioned this in an episode where we talked about Exorcism of Emily Rose, but it's just taking a possession film in a different context, not Christianity, not Catholicism, which I think is really important and it's well done. Um, and then the other one I saw at TIFF is The Vast of Night. Yeah, I really want to see both of those. Yeah, The Thoughts of Night is, like, absolutely insanely beautiful, and I can't wait to see it again. But that was one that I was just, like... What is that one about? So, they hear, like, a, it's, like they hear a strange radio signal, and they're trying to figure out... It's, like, a radio producer and a woman trying to figure out, like, what is causing the sound. And it's kind of, like, UFO-E... And like X Files E and Twilight Zone E and trying to like figure out what's going on. And it's okay. shot in black and white and there's a lot of really awesome tracking shots that are like beautiful mm. tracking shots and it's just like absolutely beautifully made. Um and so if you're very if you're into like radio drama and old Twilight Zone episodes, it's like very much up your alley. It's gorgeous. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So those are the three. I've seen a lot of amazing movies this year, but those are the three I really want to push because maybe like if I think Vast of Night has distribution for next year. Um, I think Amazon picked it up. But okay, good. The other two, I don't think they have it yet. And so I'm hoping that I'm somehow putting some good vibes into the void to get them distribution <laughs> because they deserve it. I yeah. want more people to see them and I want to be able to see them again. <laughs> really selfishly, I want to be able to see them again. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, those are the three I wanted to talk about. What about you? Well, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so I, I wrote down a whole bunch, but I'm just going to highlight a couple of them. Um, so if, if you listen to last week's episode, we had Eric power and Andreas Peterson on, yes. and they have their animated horror film, uh, attack of the demons, which is still seeking distribution. And I just want to, Going off of what you said, uh, I kind of want to put that out in the ether that maybe it'll get picked up because it's just it's a blast. I mean, I don't we don't need to really talk about it too much because we spent a whole last episode talking about it. But just I hope that it gets picked up and more people are able to see it. Yes. Um, and I'm not just saying that because they were guests. I really I really dug this film. Um, too. It's beautiful. It's absolutely like and just talking to them about how long it took to animate it. It's really yeah. it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. The detail, even like the details in that film, like the Fangoria magazines made out of paper. Uh, it's just amazing. Like the attention to detail they have. It's it's just phenomenal. Yeah, you wouldn't think that they could do the stuff that they do with just paper. <laughs> I mean, it's it's amazing. Um so the other ones I wanted to talk about briefly were uh, The Swerve. <gasps> How did I forget The Swerve? <laughs> um, yeah, The Swerve. Uh, completely destroyed me as as I saw this one. This is also, I want to say, Cinepocalypse movie. It was Cinepocalypse, yeah. Yeah. Um, and directed by uh, Deem Capsalis, who... 
spoiler alert, is probably going to be on our show in the future. Oh. I haven't, I haven't talked to you about it yet. Yeah, what Beth, the hell? I, 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 know, I don't remember you. <laughs> I did reach out to him this weekend. Cool. Well, and he's dropping down. A, dropping a exclusive. Yeah, there you go. Um, I hadn't even talked to Mary Beth about it. It was like in the middle of the night, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to reach out to him. And I did. And Is it ambient? He was like, yep, it was ambient. And he was like, yeah, this sounds great. I want to do it. So that will hopefully happen. Um, but yeah, so the swerve is about this uh, woman who is basically kind of self destructing over the course of a movie. And it's just. It was quite a gut punch. <laughs> it, that's like a very light, like a very like light way to put this movie. It is just like an absolute gut punch. It, it's just, I don't even know how else to describe it. Like it is tragically beautiful and upsetting. Yeah. Whew, it's a lot, it's... but it's gorgeously done. Like it's a movie about mental illness that is not exploitative and is just like painfully right. real and painful. It's experience. very painful. It's it's awful. Like it's awful. Like in terms of the emotional ride, but I think it's done in such an effective, amazing way. But it is it, not everyone should watch it. I don't think. <laughs> no, there definitely will be trigger warnings attached to that movie. But like, it just to see like this woman whose support system just keeps failing her, and to see the kind of way that she's trying to reach out for any kind of human emotion and and compassion from people and to see it constantly just blowing up in her face just it's just absolutely ridiculous like it's painful it's painful but amazing it's a good (laughs) doing a hard job selling it as i know there's like no way to talk about it that like isn't just like it's gonna be fucking ripped my heart out of my chest and shoved it back into my mouth but um (laughs) it's beautiful it's beautifully done yeah. And then one other movie that I, I will focus on. Um, when I saw it, it was called Mute. Mute, M-U-T-E. And it's now called Sword of God. Um, oh, did they, is this the one from Cinepocalypse, the Polish movie? Yes, it is another oh, movie from Cinepocalypse. Oh, okay. I was like, Sword of God? What the fuck? I don't remember. It was, yeah. I saw it when it was also called Mute. Yeah. And, oh, interesting. That is a very interesting name change. Yes. Did you see it? I did. And what what did you think of it? It was fine. Okay. <laughs> I I I think it was beautiful. The cinematography is beautiful, and I think it was like a beautifully made film. I wasn't as sold on the story. I was kind of bored by it. But someone gave me some, my friend Sam gave me some really interesting context behind the movie and why it's actually really important. Because in Poland, it's a lot of like anti-fascist, like or not anti-fascist, like fascist government and fascist like leadership trying to basically tell people you can't speak badly about God and this whole movie is pretty much like bashing Catholicism. So this movie is actually very daring and very important in terms of like the Polish cultural context of right now. So I appreciate that actually. That's fascinating. After I was, no. Yeah. No, after she told me that I was like, okay, I have a newfound appreciation for it. I mean, I still like the story is iffy to me, but in terms of what the director was trying to do in, in Poland, I think it's actually really cool. And I don't think a lot of people know that. So. Right. No, I didn't. I totally didn't know that. I was just captivated by the cinematography of it. Um, and like just the sort of churning feel to the story. Like there, the story is, is pretty basic. Like there's yeah. really not much of a story to it. Um, but the way that it's it's told just captivated me 
sitting I, I wish I had seen it in the theater because I was sitting just watching it on my, my television and like, oh, my God, if I could see this in the theater, I'd just be so happy because it's just it's one of those movies that, like Mary Beth said, it is it is kind of boring, but <laughs> it just it just kept my my the, the, the imagery and the music on screen just kept my attention the entire time. And there's some pretty gnarly um, moments of like yeah, it is horror. pretty gnarly. I mean, I just wish it had gone a different way or something. It just it felt like very cut and dry kind of story, yeah. which is I mean you know what that's fine. It just I don't think I needed any another story like that personally. Yeah, and that's fair. <laughs> but it was beautiful. It's like absolutely gorgeous. It won a bunch of awards in Apocalypse too. Oh, did it? Yeah, that's um, good. Yeah, and I mean like again, the cultural context part is I think really important and really cool. Like, it is a very important movie. Yeah. Anything else? Um, well, one more. Um, cool. And I, th- I think it's coming out. I think, I want to say IFC Midnight might have picked it up. Okay. The Wretched. Oh, I don't know if I've heard of this one. No, um, I might have. Continue. Please tell me what so it's about. It's kind of a mix of, like, uh, the comic Witches um, with <gasps> oh, oh, Suburbia. Like, I love uh, Disturbia. Witches. So it's about this uh, teenage boy who um, is struggling with his parents' uh, divorce. Okay. And he's moving. He moved to this uh, um, to visit his dad during the summer. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, the neighbors next door went hunting and brought something back that is like this witch that gets in people, like literally in people, and kind of takes them over in like some kind of gnarly body horror type ways this sounds beautiful so there's like two stories going on of like the next door because you see it from the next door neighbor's perspective where like there's some really creepy moments involving a baby cam oh Um, hell yeah and just sort of like the mother who's being possessed by this witch just the kind of like body horror that she's going through and then you also get the sort of like rear window slash disturbia story of the kid that's like he's a delinquent, he's breaking rules, no one believes him that his next door neighbors are, are is a thousand year old witch, and they sort of like get on a collision course together. And I really, really dug it. It's a lean like ninety minute uh, oh, thriller, but it's a lot of fun. And I want to say. I want to. I think I saw it at Fantasia, and I want to say that it's coming out from IFC Midnight. Okay, not hundred percent sure on that, so don't quote me. But I okay. think they bought it, and I think it's coming out relatively soon, like first quarter of next year. Hold on, let me check. I'm gonna check really quick because I really want um, to see it. The Wretched Movie. Yeah. Um. But it is okay. It is... Yes, I've seen the cover, and I was like, I need it. Yeah. In my life right now. Um. I don't see any. Well, if we find it, we'll tweet about it or update yeah. it if we know the actual release date because I can't find it. Yeah, I don't think they've necessarily announced okay. the uh, the release date, but I want to say that they kind of position are positioning it. Um, <laughs> yes, IFC picked it up. Um, don't know when it's coming out, but cool. next year at some point. Awesome. Well. Please look out for that, everyone. Because yes. the, the fucking a lot poster, of fun. It looks real good. Just lean, mean. 
I love that. I honestly, and that's one back to Black Christmas. One of the reasons I loved it, it was a lean ninety minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's so important right now. <laughs> I just, you know what? I appreciate a long movie, but I honestly really more like more often appreciate a nice ninety minute story. So yes. Okay. All right. So, twenty nineteen, huh? Oh. Yeah, was it was the year of the Stephen King adaptation. We got like what four of them this year? We got four we got, of them this year. Yeah, I think so. We got uh, Pet Cemetery. Oh shit! I forgot. We got it. Chapter two. Okay. We got in the tall in the grass. tall grass, and Doctor Sleep. Oh my god, you're right. I didn't even put together. Whew. Wow, we really did get a lot of Stephen King adaptations. We got that we got um the sophomore features from a lot of uh yes we did really awesome directors including jordan peele ari aster um eggers i can't remember what his first name is because there's the writer and then there's the director whose last name is eggers and i always get them too confused uh robert eggers yeah and then we also had the nightingale from jennifer kent um, I have not seen it yet. It's on Amazon now, so you have no excuse not to. I know. Just kidding, I, you it's, do, because it's really hard to watch. <laughs> it well, is, like, traumatizing. It's a yeah. very difficult two and a half, and that's two and a half hours long, so. Well, going back to that 90 minutes thing, I see that it's two and a half hours, and I know that it is about rape revenge, and that is one of the move. One of the genres that I just do not, I mean, I don't, I don't know people don't really take joy in it, or they normal people probably don't take joy in those type of movies but like i just i can't that that's not something that i'm gonna go search out you know what i mean yeah i mean i, I understand i i i have a not a fascination but i think i right revenge is one of my like research topics from grad school mm-hmm. in terms of how it's handled by women female directors and what it means to make rape revenge movies now so that's why i think it's such an important movie, but it also is a very difficult movie to watch. And like, there are a lot of criticisms about the brutality, which I understand. Um, I think the brutality is important, but I also understand why it is so upsetting to people. Cause it is like very intense. Um, well, but anyway, I, di- I digress. I apologize. <laughs> no, I, I, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, I, everyone has a different reaction to them. And I remember reading BJ, um, Colin, gosh, Colin, Colangelo, Colangelo, Colangelo. Yeah. <laughs> Colangelo, um, she she had her her blog, uh, The Day of the Woman, um, and she always finds those types of movies therapeutic. And I yeah, there's like there's different reactions to it, and no reaction is wrong. Um, no, it's not just, at all. It's just not a it's not a, a genre that I actively go search out. Even though yeah, last year Revenge was one of my top movies of of the oh, year. Such a good um, movie. I just two and a half hours. <laughs> That's a lot, it's so and it's brutal. like, and the thing, and the thing is, with a lot of rape revenge movies, it's very fantastical, so you can kind of divorce yourself from it. Um, in terms of it being like, it's it's very much like revenge MFA holiday. There are movies about like fantasy and catharsis in terms of like they're not real, but you it, there's like a separation. The Nightingale is very, it's very historical. It's, it's very, very much based on historical fi- fiction, so there isn't that kind of quasi fantastical element that you can kind of look at like it's all just fucking real and depressing so that is another reason why it's so goddamn grim because it's like this happened like this is not something we can just pretend is like a fantasy like 
fantastical like over the top story it's actually right. like the reality of many women um then and maybe even now so it's it's well, it it also a hard kinda, watch it also tacks uh, tackles racism right with uh oh the jesus yes and... there's a lot of stuff about like the treatment of aboriginal people it's interesting because it creates which is hierarchy. a huge thing in australia yeah and it continues to be like a huge problem right. jennifer kind of basically made this movie to be like we cannot ignore the colonial the awful colonial past of australia and how we absolutely ravaged the indigenous population of this continent uh, right it's pretty right. intense. I mean, it's like she she just is saying a lot in it that it's very important, but it's just like the things she has to say are not pleasant, and it's basically trying to hold a mirror up to society, being like, "Hey, we've done some really awful shit, so we should confront it." So it again, like you said, completely understandable. People don't want to seek it out because it is a hard watch. But if you are interested, it is very. It's a very good movie. It's just like I said, it's not something you should put on if you're like not feeling your best. Right. And it, it's not, yeah. So, like, I, it's one of those movies, it's been on my queue. I actually bought it when it came out digitally. So, like, I, oh, I own it. You supported, it. Now I know you supported her. Prime. You supported Jennifer Kent. Hell yeah, I do. I love her. Hell yeah. I just, it's not, it's just, I just got to be in the right the ba- mood. It's not the Babadook. It's not the Babadook. <laughs> no. Don't go in there thinking it's going to be like that. It's not. <laughs> right. Uh, so, this, this year, um, how do you think it compares to to last year, Mary Beth? In terms, I of... feel like I had a much harder time picking my my top ten than last year. I think there were more yeah. choices for me. And but the other thing is, this year I had more access to festival screeners. Mm-hmm. Last year I wasn't as active in that scene as in the scene and, and getting as engaged with like indie horror releases. So that might have something mm-hmm. to do with it. But also at the same time, I just I feel like there was there were more challenging narratives this year, and in, by in terms of being just like complex and not shying away from things, I think this year is really like with a lot of these sophomore features. I think a lot of people their voices are starting to really be heard, and I yeah. think there's a lot of risks ta- a lot of risks that have been taken that are being rewarded this year. I think Shutter picked up. A lot of movies that took a lot of risks and really put them out to a bigger audience and got them a lot of love that they wouldn't have gotten before. I think international horror is getting even more attention than it used to. I just mm-hmm. think this year is when a lot of people's voices were heard um, more than the usual. We still have a lot of work to do, but I think this year showed a big step in the right direction in terms of diversifying horror, not only in directors, but in terms of the stories that these filmmakers wanted to tell. Yeah. That's just how I felt. <laughs> no, that's that's I yeah. I don't disagree. I I I had a harder time personally picking out my list this year because I don't know. I last year just really really hit me with the the quality of movies that I that that like sort of were in my my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. That like this year there was a lot of really good movies about big ideas. Mm-hmm. Um and I loved that I saw a lot more diversity, but I just, when I was looking back through my, my letterbox of the movies I saw this year, the movies that kind of excited me more are a lot of festival <laughs> movies that are coming out probably next year, more so than the movies that I saw that came out this year. So I, I kind of had a, an opposite um, problem, I think. Um, but that said, I think there are some really fantastic um, movies that came out this year. It felt like there was a lot more highs and lows, like yeah. there's a lot of of really great movies, and then a lot of movies that 
I never want, I will probably never think of again, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's fair. I think this year I, I plunged into things with like more, like more optimism than 2018 because I was covering more festivals and I think I kind of just like, yeah, maybe had a naive optimism around things. I don't know. I don't know. But I, I think this year was amazing. I think there are some amazing stuff that came out this year. Which yeah, it's a good way to end the decade. Yeah, I think so. I think it kind of feels emblematic of the last half of the decade, too. Um, yeah. But we'll kind of get to that yeah. soon. <laughs> um, before we get to a top ten, I know you had a hard time um, narrowing it down. What Did you have a couple runner-ups or some honorable mentions? Yeah, that you to I did. I had we... a couple honorable mentions that, like, just had a really hard time with this one. With, like, because... M- the thing is, a lot of my list is, like, smaller stuff. Um, so the two that are – there's two honorable mentions. Um, Crawl, which mm-hmm. was the Alexandra Aja movie about um, alligators. I really enjoyed it. I, it was so much more fun than I had ever expected it to be. Um, I just think that there was there were more effective horror movies that came out this year that were on my top ten. This would be my top 15 for sure. But, like, oh, it yeah. wasn't as affecting as some of the stuff, other stuff in my top ten. Um, it was – Fun, good monster bullshit, and it's awesome. But I think my top ten were res- is are films I chose that had more emotional resonance with me. Um, and so Carl Same. didn't Carl didn't necessarily have emotional resonance, other than it was really fun, and I am so glad I saw it, and that I'm glad that monster movies are fun again. Um, Midsummer, I had a lot of. I mean, y- y'all have probably read my bullshit about this on the internet. I. By no means hated it. I think it is obviously a runner-up. I think it's a good movie. Um, it, I think it handles mental illness in a really, for me, in a disrespectful way, especially because I saw it right after I received a bipolar di- bipolar disorder diagnosis. Um, I think it tried to do too much, but I still like it's still Ari Aster. I love him. He's fucked up. I saw it twice. It gave me a very intense emotional reaction, which I respect. Um, but it wasn't. I, I talked about having my top 10 being emotional, emotionally resonant. This one just like hit me in the wrong way. I think, um, yeah. Depraved Larry Fassenden's. Oh like, yes. Reimagining a Frankenstein. I love that movie. I just think it's so well done and it was very cool. Um, seek that out. And then, um, Jennifer readers knives and skin. It almost made, Another it's like my number one. 11. Um, Oh yeah. It's not really horror. It's more like twin peaks, David Lynchy, but like with a very like, feminist twist to it um it's very good it just came out december 6th on vod it's weird it's bizarre it's awesome um it just narrowly missed out on my list but um yeah those are the four of my runner-ups what about you terry okay um so i i did have crawl in mind um okay i think i had i had such a, a good time with that film um it's it's i love aquatic horror i'm yes. so glad to see that we've been between that and um 47 meters down and caged which wasn't as successful but it was still fun and then underwater coming out oh my gosh um, i'm so excited i'm so there's a big underwater poster at my movie theater that i keep walking by and i'm so hype i am very hyped for that one i it'll probably be bad but i can't wait to see it um (laughs) i know it's just january horror movies i'm always approaching him with some trepidation I know I was thinking the same thing, but I didn't want to say it. <laughs> but uh, I, I the, and I mean, the cast is is both great and terrible at the same time. 
I mean, You're I love so Kristen right. Stewart, but then it has fucking T.J. Miller T.J. Miller, sorry. Who's canceled and has been for a while. I'm, he probably filmed this movie before he was canceled. I don't know, but... Probably. Uh, yeah. So anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to see that for my birthday, because my birthday is the 14th, so I'm really excited. Um, but yeah, so anyway, Crawl... <laughs> Uh, Crawl was it was on it. Harpoon was also on it. Um, okay. I was really sad that that didn't make my top ten. Um, okay. But um, I kind of looked at my top ten as I did last year with movies that were that resonated with me um, or that okay. I had an emotional attachment to for the most part. Um, and then I I almost included this one, um, but I focused on movies. But horror noir, the documentary. Oh yeah. Um, I it almost. In in my first list, it kind of had a space on it, but I really just wanted to focus on on more of the, the fiction narratives than um, documentaries. Um, so it's not on it, but I think it's a very important um, movie that or documentary that came out this year that I think people need to see. And then another movie. What's that? I say I agree. I think horror noir is like a very important thing that people need to watch and understand. And like it actually got me to watch a lot of movies I hadn't heard of before. And I think exactly. it just needs to, like, people. It's just people need to realize like the history that of horror. Not and it doesn't even highlight all the good things of like representation of African Americans in horror. And it's just very good. Yeah, I agree. And then the last one that I'll I'll bring up, um, which I I think I I don't know. I I think some people might be surprised it's not on the list. Some people, everyone has like a a different reaction to this movie. Um, and I'm curious uh if it's on yours at all but us the jordan peele movie it actually is on my list (laughs) okay so we'll we'll talk about that um when you get to it but um it i almost included it it was one of those that i just yeah okay yeah i think our list might be more different than i was expecting um i you know it it quite possibly will be, yeah. <laughs> Which would be good. It'll be no. Um, I'm, I, I I'm excited to hear what you what you have because I also have Harpoon on my top ten list. I figured I figured you did. I it do was have almost Harpoon. on mine. Yeah. So this will be interesting. I'm very excited because um, we have not talked about this, listeners. Like we did not share no. with each other what is on the list. Um, and just as a heads up, everyone, our number one. We are not telling you our number one today. It, we will be revealing our number one on our best of the decade episode next week. So yes. if you want to hear our number one of 2019, you have to listen to next week's episode. Yep. And we're doing that because, I mean, you know, we're talking about the decade and we don't want to have to have repeat content for, for yeah. people. So just figured we'd, we'd keep it for that. Um, yeah. Keep you in suspense a little longer. Keep you in suspense <laughs> and then you'll get to hear double the people talk about it next week yes it's gonna um, be a good episode it'll be a really good episode so i guess Top we'll just tarp with our time so do we want to do it back and forth 10 yes that's oh, perfect so what's your top what is your number 10 of 2019 my number 10 is a movie that wasn't going to be on this list and then i rewatched it this weekend uh-huh. and i think it is totally my shit it okay. is um called the dead center and I'm guessing it's not on your list. It's not. I don't, know I don't if even know. If seen it. I don't even think I've heard of it. Hold on. Tell me. And tell that, me about it. And that's partly why it's on my list. Um, okay. Because I my my first two on this list are kind of movies that I don't feel people are talking about. And the Dead Center. I saw it back in Telluride Horror Show last year, um, and I didn't get a review of it done at the time because 
I was so overwhelmed by the amount of movies I watched. And let me just say that 2018 Terry was clueless on <laughs> on getting reviews yes. out on a timely basis because like that was only maybe ten movies. And I mean now I've I've gone to watch Fantasia Fest where it was like thirty movies in like a very short period. So but I didn't get a review done, but it was extremely my shit. It's it's opens up with a body being carted to the morgue. He was a recent suicide victim. And then after the morgue attendant leaves, the body bag just starts jerking around and the deceased person stumbles out of the morgue into one of the hospital beds and he's found catatonic the next day and he gets taken to an emergency psych ward where um, a doctor sort of like starts to talk to him and figures out that there's something wrong with him. He has something inside of him and... Meanwhile, there's a medical examiner that's trying to track down where the fuck the body went. And so you sort of follow the two on their on their journey of discovering what is going on with this this man that came back alive. And it's a slow burn paranoid thriller has a very small budget, but it kind of reminds me of the 70s paranoia films um, at the time. And even though it's not about the kind of subject matter of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, it kind of reminds me of that kind of like paranoia where like one doctor is trying to convince people that some bad shit is going down and no one is believing him and he's falling further and further into this like paranoid uh uh kind of issue (laughs) i but it's it's i really i really dug it especially the second time watching it it's um i think it's a really interesting movie that cool i don't think many people saw okay I wouldn't like to watch it. It sounds very good. So I kind of wish it had a bigger budget. Okay. But, you know, it is what it is. And for what it is, I think it's really good. Cool. Okay. Well, What's your number 10? My number 10 is Braid. Okay. Um, which was came out this year. Pretty small release. It's um, directed by Mitzi uh, Pironi. And mm-hmm. it stars Madeline Brewer. Um <gasps> who was in cam last year and i absolutely love this movie it's a fucking acid trip weird nuts crazy thing these two girls like need money and they're like oh we'll just go rob our weird old friend but their friend has they have to play a game with their friend of like house and the friend is just like play madeline brewer is just like pretty psychotic and she has still these weird I don't know. It's just so fucking weird, but it's so pretty and it's bizarre and it just is all out weird and man oh man did I absolutely fucking love that movie. So that's why it's on my number ten. Awesome. Just... I have not seen it. Oh, um, it's just so good. That's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I and I kept hearing like uh conflicting opinions on it, so I'm glad to hear that you really liked it because I've been I've been meaning to. It's been on my my list. I want to say that it's on either Hulu or Amazon or some streaming service. Yeah, right it's it on, I can't Prime. remember which one, but it's on there. Um, so I I am gonna watch it, but um, that's interesting. Yeah, it's really cool. So um, it looked kind of uh psychedelic. Like I I saw some of the screens, and it's like very. A lot, a lot of purples, a lot of, a lot of bright purples. colors. There's a lot of just like people doing drugs and then totally getting fucked up and then like things change <laughs> color and it's just, it's so ridiculous. But like I think what I was really excited about this year was a number of female directors giving the opportunity to make such weird choices. So that, like, that's kind yes. of one of the reasons why I included it. I just thought it was 
and Madeline Brewer is like all out ridiculous and I just love her so much. So yeah. it was just amazing to see her get to play this like completely ridiculous, like over the top character. And it was amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I really think she's a good actress and she's been, um, she's been in some really good, some really good stuff. Yes. She was in Hustlers this year too. Yes, and um, she, she was, was one of my, my favorite kind of side characters in it. Yeah. She was really good in Hustlers. I was so excited to see her in that movie. I was like, Oh my yeah, God, my surprise. girl, she's in like in big movies now. So yeah, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, happy about that. Awesome. Um, cool. Okay. So number nine. All right. Number nine uh, for me. So this is another movie that I don't hear a lot of people talking about. Okay. And I have a, I have a kind of a problem with it because okay. it's, um, it's a Cinestate movie. Okay. And their movies kind of bother me because <laughs> as a gay person, they tend to focus on narratives that feature some uncomfortably racist, misogynistic, and homophobic characters um but they always seem to have really good they're really well done mm-hmm. and so this movie is one of those movies it's called the standoff at sparrow creek oh cool i've heard so much about that this year it's it's a very interesting movie that is very intense without having much action in it um and truth, truthfully, I just I couldn't stop thinking about it. I haven't stopped being able to stop thinking about it since I saw it earlier this year. Okay. Because um, I think it came out in January, so it was an early release last year that – well, this year, I guess. They're not done with this year yet. Um, but basically, the idea is that it's a militia group that has to go into hiding after they hear reports uh, that there is an attack on a at a police funeral. And the shooter used an AR-15 – had Kevlar and had explosives, and then mm-hmm. coincidentally, an AR-15 is missing from their stock, so is a Kevlar vest, and so are some grenades. So the killer is one of them, and they must discover which of them is the killer before the police uh, rain down on them and everything. Wow. So, like, you take the side of a militia that is a half a degree away from being white supremacist, like there are some <laughs> white supremacists in it. So. Okay we're already kind of focusing on a story of people that I don't like and a, you know, and a perspective of, but, and it kind of goes for that both sides argument. Like, yes, they're Uh. bad, but so are the, so are these cops that are trying to hunt them. So like there's, I find it very problematic and I found most of the movie problematic, but that said, I think it has some interesting, interesting things to say about the way false information gets disseminated and kind of like the whole fake news aspect of of what is going on in our society and it's very skillfully done and it was very intense and i found myself on the edge of my seat the entire time okay and it had the 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 twist always surprised me and the acting is phenomenal as a bunch of character actors that you've we've seen in so many different movies just at the top of their game um I I thought it was a very well done movie about people that I absolutely hated. (laughs) Cool. Okay. Yeah. So those are my two that I don't think people are talking about. Okay. Um, Cool. And what about you for your number nine? My number nine is Knife Plus Heart. Okay. Oh, no. Do you not like Knife Plus Heart? Oh, my God. No, I love Knife Plus Heart. Okay, good. Okay, okay. Knife Plus Heart is so good. I'm assuming it's on your list somewhere higher up. Yeah, we're not going to talk about it. 
for me on me on my perspective so go ahead (laughs) knifeless heart is um it came out last year it was making the festival circuit and it finally hit shutter and knife plus heart is a fucking amazing movie um it's so gay and it's so gay so gay and it's just it's gay men and lesbians and trans people and it is just gay 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 and that's what i want my horror movies but it's like gay without it being annoying which is not like because it you know and a lot of times like straight directors make like gay characters into stereotypes and into like Mm -hmm. caricatures but this is just like these people are people and they just happen to be gay like it's just and it's about gay porn and it's about like love and weird psychosexual killers it's very much like a giallo film from the Mm -hmm. 70s it's got a lot of that crazy color palette there's a dildo knife um it's just (laughs) absolutely gorgeous it is a beautiful movie it is an important movie and it is such a good movie it's like a weird giallo gay slasher and it fucking rules and you should watch it on shutter that's what i have to say about knife plus heart (laughs) (laughs) Um, absolutely. Uh, I, I don't want to say too much because it might be on my list up, uh, up higher, Okay. but I agree with everything you just said. Uh, it's go watch this, go get shuttered, it, get a free just, month. It's so go enjoy good. it. It just, it, it, it showcases that you can make a queer horror movie and it'll be a really fucking good queer horror movie. And we all knew that, but it's just like, it's proof to people who like just seem to want to say that, like, oh, making things queer is not a good thing. It's like, no, this is, like, unapologetically gay, unapologetically lesbian, unapologetically trans. It's just, like, phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And it just makes me happy. And the score is phenomenal. Oh, my gosh, it's so good. But M83, the band. Oh, it's good. Anyway, please watch it. Yeah. Anyway, next. Awesome. Number eight. Number eight. Uh, this one is a dark horse um, as well for me, uh, but it's Hagazusa. That was this year? That was this year. Oh, I thought that was 20. <laughs> I thought that was 2018. Oh, nope, I love Hagazusa. Do you? Oh, it's on my list because I forgot. I saw it in 2018 and I didn't even think about it. But anyway. Well, t- yeah, oh, so it's, so it's, um, it's one of those movies that has had quite a divisive uh, response to it. Yes. Um, I And a lot of people think it's very boring and... I found it incredibly boring on my first watch to the point that like I was zoning out through most of it. And in order to get my review done, I had to sit down and watch it a second time. Uh And on my second viewing, I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, It's such a good movie. Because it has this like oppressive feeling of menace that Mm -hmm. got under my skin. Yeah. And it actually gave me nightmares. Um, Oh, wow. Which doesn't happen. I'm very. I'm. 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 When I when I was a kid, I used to have nightmares after movies. But like, I'm very detached now. I guess because like, having seen so many movies that like once I'm in a movie, if I'm in a movie, I it uh, scares me. But then after the movie's over, I'm very. It's very easy for me to just compartmentalize and just cut it off. Um, But some of the imagery in this movie just (sighs) fucked me up. It's fucking Um, disturbing. Yeah, and so it starts off as this little girl who's living with her dying mother outside of this town, and everyone in the town thinks that they're witches, or thinks that her mother is is a witch. And so 
it's set in like 15th century Europe. So it's about the, you know, it's about the time where like, you know, there's the oppression of women and there's all this kind of stuff going on that like sort of feeds into it. But, but in the opening, there's like a, it's very terrifying and overtly sexual with like the mother in like a very disturbing way that I just can't get out of my, out of my head. Yeah. And then the mother dies and we see the girl as a grown up and she's fighting the same. It's like a, a cycle of, of misogyny. Cause we see her now dealing with the same shit that her mother had to deal with where everyone in town thinks that she's a witch and she kind of finds someone that maybe she has a connection with. <sighs> and then it just goes from there. But like, it reminds it's, I mean, comparisons can be made to the witch in terms of like theme for sure. And yeah. I don't, I think it's a lot slower pace than the witch so people that thought the witch were slow will probably zone out in this movie but like the imagery that it uses in the first act and then in the third act as things get fucking fucking weird wild just lingered in my head in a way that movies don't do anymore it really got to me i cried yeah i cried I i can see that and I, I consider this, I won't give spoilers, and this might be like, like a vague kind of spoiler, but I consider this a rape revenge movie. <laughs> uh, I completely, I can completely see that. It is 100% a rape revenge movie, and I really want to write an article about it if it hasn't been written. But anyway, I it's just, it's such a good movie. It's beautifully shot, and it's so upsetting. And there's a scene that is very similar to Possession in the subway scene. <laughs> Yep, yep, yes there is. And if you consider the fact that this was like a film thesis project. Right? That this is the guy's first film and it was a graduation film. I can't wait for him to make more movies. I cannot wait for him to make more movies. And it's so fucking assured and so like just whether you like it or not, the fact that the person that is graduating from college and this is his first movie and this is his film thesis is able to put out something like this for school i mean i know you just this is another you know ari aster in the making yeah to be perfectly honest um i really can't wait to see what he does next he's austrian i think yeah i think so too so i'm lucas feigelfeld yeah i I I don't know how to pronounce it very excited to see what he makes next because hakuzusa is like a fucking daring amazing debut um if you don't like slow movies don't see it but it's just it's gorgeous yeah Lingered in my mind. I still think it, about it, it today. It is a ha- it's haunting. Like it is a movie that will haunt you. It would be on my list if I remembered it was from this year. <laughs> but here we are. Here we are making mistakes. <laughs> mistakes were made. But uh, what's your number eight? My number eight is the Japanese film One Cut of the Dead. Ah oh, yes, such a good movie. One Cut of the Dead is a movie I saw last year that got acquired by Shutter this year, and it is amazing it is split into two parts and i'm reluctant to tell you what it's about because it's so much better going into it not knowing but let's just say the beginning features i think like a 38 minute long take no cuts um and it is perhaps the most impressive thing i've ever seen and the so it begins as like kind of a zombie horror and goes into comedy and it's just again and like another thing like daring and it was a movie i got as a screener that i was like oh this will be like another zombie movie but i was absolutely entranced like phenomenal film that everyone who has shutter or should get shutter should see 
because they, again, they're giving us access to some amazing films this year. So yeah, that's my number eight. I agree. That's a good choice. Yeah. <laughs> number seven. Uh, number seven for me, uh, this is a movie that I am so glad I was able to watch before we did our list. Uh, it's the lighthouse. Oh, okay. Yeah. So thank you, A24, for coming through in a pinch because I was you. able to get a screener of this and I watched it recently. And this movie is bizarre as fuck. That um, is an understatement. It is, <laughs> it is a complete left turn from the guy that brought us the witch. So, uh, this is it's a movie about a man named Ephraim mm-hmm. who goes to work at a lighthouse run with ruth- ruthless efficiency by Thomas, the lighthouse keeper. And what follows is an intense character drama between the two men who alternately hate and love each other. It's... And it's about toxic masculinity. It's also about intimacy and the fear of intimacy between men. It's very um, homoerotic. It's so gay. Uh, it's just so gay. It's such a it gay is... movie. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I the, there's, there's a part where um, Ephraim is like fantasizing and he sees this like mermaid creature but it gets superimposed with this image of this blonde haired lad and they sort of kind of conflate into one another as he's jerking off and there's something to that that i think uh i was i was digging into and trying to find interviews with uh eggers about this and he's like i'm just going to keep that to myself but like i i have a feeling that this movie is about um, this attraction between the two men that they're unafraid or unwilling to explore yeah. and it explodes into violence and paranoia and it's just it's a it's a fascinating movie um, and I think it's quite a swing for uh, the director I think yeah I don't think if The Witch had been as successful as it was that this is a movie he probably never would have been able to make and I I I think it's so amazing that he was able to get this done because mm-hmm. it's completely uncommercial. <laughs> it is. It's I mean, wild. I need to watch it again because I, I didn't I didn't dislike it when I saw it at TIFF, but I was taken aback. I think I need to watch it again um, to really appreciate it. I think I wasn't expecting something different. Um, I think yeah. I wanted more of something I didn't get, which is fine. But right. um, it's stinky. It's like so. It's just like it's like a, it's an assault on the senses. It is a movie that is like stinky and wet and loud and gross. And it's like it's so impressive the way he creates those sensations through film. And I just I the craft behind it. Like it's just impeccably made. It, the craft is amazing. Costuming, set design, the soundscape of like this foghorn and the screaming seagulls. Like it is yes. beautifully done, like designed. Um, I don't know how sold I am on the story, um, but I, I liked it. Um, I think it was cool. I think it was like a really daring thing, and I'm glad he got a chance to make it. Mm-hmm. I, I also think that that might be um, why I enjoyed it more than some people because. Okay. I've I had some I mean I just saw this like two weeks ago mm-hmm. so like I I had some time away from the the hype of you know the festival runs and yeah. the initial disappointment where people were expecting it to be I mean 
not to get into spoilers, but people were expecting it to be a little bit more Lovecraftian and more reaching into this more horror stuff yeah. than it than it ultimately does. And so I was kind of I went in expecting that to not be as okay. Um, that definitely was, that's definitely helpful. I think. Yeah. Um, but I just I I thought the acting was phenomenal. I found oh it to God, be absolutely so hilarious. Um, there's a lot of just, farting. Well, there's a lot of farting. There's a lot of farting. But like, <laughs> there's like a line where like he's like, "You don't like me, lobster." <laughs> I was because he's like he's complaining about the cooking or something. And he's and it just I I don't know. There's just it just it really like tickled my funny bone. And yeah, I will. I yeah, love movies about homoeroticism. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. So my number seven may be also kind of about eroticism. Um, Harpoon <laughs> is my number seven. Yes. Um, Harpoon, it is not just on my list because we interviewed Rob Grant. Just wanted to put that mm-hmm. out there. Harpoon was a big, like, dark horse for me. Um, I think it resonated so much with me because I have been in, like, friendships like that where I have been dating someone not exactly the same, but, like, I've dealt with, like, dating someone and also being friends with the other guy and feeling, like, the in-between of the two of them and being treated like a piece of meat. And I think mm-hmm. it really captures that dynamic very well. Um, I think it really captures this, like, nice guy, toxic masculinity dynamic in a really important way. Um, and I think the chemistry between the actors is amazing. The, the premise is these three friends, two men and a woman, um have this very volatile friendship it's full of like fighting and violence but also drinking and being like fucked up around each other and they go on a boat trip um the boat runs out of gas they're stuck on this boat and then secrets start coming out and it's pretty it sounds like pretty basic but it's just it's badass um i just thought it was an amazing film i think the reason i like i said it really gets to that core of like friendship dynamics and especially when it's like a mixed gender friendship dynamic and what can really happen within that and also looking at sources of toxic masculinity and inherited like generational not generational trauma necessarily but like how these things aren't just they don't just pop up overnight but how these kinds of perspectives of around women and getting what you want is cultivated by parents and by your surrounding like by your life rather than just popping up overnight because of the internet so yeah i i agree and this actually probably i think originally was in this spot um number seven so it for me too so it's a little weird that it probably it got knocked out but i was kind of hoping you would you would have yeah, on here so we could talk about it i got it <laughs> but i yeah i i love this movie i think i think it's really funny um it's really funny like it's it's my kind of humor that sort yeah. of dark very caustic uh nihilistic humor yeah and the fact that it's it's um staged as with the uh the narrator kind of giving us insights and like hilariously mocking these this group of people yeah just i i think it's a great movie and i'm i'm really glad that you you included it on yours yeah me too (laughs) it's so good it's so good it's so good um okay number six number six my number six is one cut of the dead oh look at that okay <laughs> okay cool and um finally I, some overlap <laughs> yeah right it's, a, it's, a, um, it's I think we're surprisingly wanting to get some, overlap i think we're gonna run into some more as we uh get, get into up. our top five i but, think um, so too but 
but yeah, so one cut of the dead. Uh, I, I I know Mary Beth didn't want to spoil anything, so all I'll say is if you've seen Noises Off, you kind of know what you're getting into yeah. with this movie. Um, the first 38 minutes is this long take that uh, I know a lot of people, some people are like, you watch this movie after it's been hyped and you're in the first 38 minutes and you're like, what the fuck are people talking about? Because there's, there's something off about it. Yes. Um, and you get to the end of it and you're like, okay, what, what, why, why do people love this movie? Ha 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 ha. And then it's all about the payoff. And there's just the last half of the movie is nothing but payoff for the stuff that happens in the first 38 minutes. And it is a love letter to indie filmmaking. It's fucking genius. It's it's just so good. It really is. And the way it's structured is just it's it's so perfect once you get to the end. And the fact that it was made with like, I think it cost twenty five thousand dollars to make. It's a. It was a cast of no, like no one. No one in this in this movie is is very big for the most part. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's just it was shot in eight days and it was just, it's just this ode to to indie filmmaking and, ma- and getting out there and doing it. And if this person can just go out there and make something like this, that it just gives me this so much hope for the future of of independent filmmaking. Yeah, which. I I love I'm a huge proponent for and it's one thing that like I like to cover on my site more so Mm -hmm. than than the big you know studio releases I love independent film and to just see the trials the tribulations the frustrations the the ridiculousness that you have to go through to get that one shot in this movie just fucking it's so good it's so it's so good well it's made back it's money like ridiculous amounts I think it's a big hit in Japan too Yes, it was it was huge. It's it's been huge everywhere it's gone. Yeah, um, which is so exciting and, again for indie filmmaking. Yeah, and it's on it's on Shutter, so you should go watch that too. Yeah. Um. So that was my number cool. six. What about you? My number six is Bliss. Ah, yes. Bliss is Joe Bagos's. Is this his first movie? It's not his first movie. It's his third. Third. Okay. Apologies. I couldn't remember. But it's this amazingly, it's this, like, I think I was really into psychedelic stuff this year. I don't know. A lot of my stuff is like weird and colorful and like psychedelic and messed up and bizarre. Um, mm-hmm. This is like that. And it's like about an artist um, who is a total asshole. Like she yells at everyone. She's caustic, but she doesn't really care. Like she's kind of a badass in that way. And she's really struggling to get inspiration for her art. And then she takes this drug um, called Bliss. And she gets fucked up with her friends. And then something happens with her friends and she is turned into a vampire. And it's this very bloody, fucked up, psychedelic, drug-fueled blood feast. And the more blood she consumes and the more Bliss she does, the better her paintings turn out. And it's this really interesting look at, like, L.A. art scene and... It's really, I just, it's, it's a trip. It is so good. It is so fun. It is, like, intense. It is kind of sexy in a fucked up way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I just, it, it, this has been talked about by a lot of people, but it is just as good as everyone is saying. And I'm so glad I snuck it in um, towards the end of last month so I could talk about it. Yeah, and it's I, um, actually been on I, almost every single one of our podcast episodes we have yeah, mentioned Yeah, that's this true. Movie. We have mentioned it quite a bit. 
Yeah. So it's only fair that it, it shows up again. Yeah. So I just, I loved it. It's a good choice. And I'm a sucker for vampire movies too, so that helps. What? Me? You are? I like vampire movies. Me? Ma? What? Her? Who is she? <laughs> Who is she? Anyway. Uh, okay. Um, so number five. Number five. Mine. So the top five, I didn't really have a huge problem with um, my six through ten. Okay. But my top five, um, this went through so many different permutations <laughs> because I think all of these movies are, I think in any year, any of these movies could have been number one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, they just all sort of happened to come out the same year. Yeah. And so I kind of go back and forth on, on the order of it, but my number five is Daniel isn't real. Okay. Um, it's on my list, but wait, I won't tell you where. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I would be surprised <laughs> if it wasn't. Um, so it is about a, a college freshman named Luke who suffered a tragedy when he was a kid and, as a result, had an imaginary friend that just sort of steps into the picture at a moment of very violent trauma. And Daniel is his imaginary friend that sort of helps him as his only friend when he's a kid and sort of kind of makes him feel more confident about himself. Um, but then starts to push him to do things that aren't good. And so as a result, he has to lock him up in... It's symbolically in this dollhouse and when he's an adult he ends up having to face daniel his imaginary friend his really who is now unleashed and is a grown-up who is everything that that luke wants to be he's sexy he's confident he's able to um manipulate people he's able to do things that Luke would never be able to do. And again, there's sort of this underlying malice to him. And the movie is about a lot of things. It's about mental illness. I think that that's has a lot of interesting things to say about struggling with um, a family member who's suffering it. And then the Mm -hmm. fear that you might also have that kind of genetic um, trait to be more discernible for it. There's a lot of homoeroticism in this movie. Yep. Um, there's a lot of body horror. It definitely takes into account sort of like a, a, a Lynchian um, Silent Hill-esque approach to some yeah. very visual horror aspects. It's just, I think it's absolutely fantastic. Um, I'm kind of surprised it's at number five for me because it could have easily been higher. Yeah, I'm um, surprised at number it. five. I thought it would be higher for you. I love it. I'm very curious. Let's see what else is there. Yeah. <clears throat> Daniel isn't real is high up for me. I won't talk about it. Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> I, I figured it would be. Um, but yeah, I, that, that's my number five. Cool. My number five is Us. Jordan Peele's yeah. sophomore debut. I think I liked it a lot more than a lot of people did. I think people were disappointed with it um, compared to Get Out. I think it's much more complex than Get Out. Just like... In terms of, I think Jordan Peele is starting to do a lot more with it, um, mm-hmm. and it was in, and Lupita Nyong'o in it is absolutely fucking spot on. Her and Elizabeth Moss kill it in this movie. Um, yeah. The, if you guys haven't seen it, it's it's the, it's a film about a family 
a black family who goes on vacation and something like weird things start happening and they find out they have tethered versions of themselves or basically like speechless clones of them who wear red jumpsuits and they're out to get them for I will not spoil reasons. It's very weird. <laughs> it's very it's I think it's kind of it's kind of a dense movie. I think I would describe it as a little bit dense. I think there's just like mm-hmm. so much happening that it's hard to kind of wrap your head around it in one viewing. But I think just like Jordan Peele is able to hit these crazy thematic stuff so well and in such beautiful and interesting ways. And I just, like, it stuck with me all year. Um, and I just, again, like, Lupita Nyong'o is, like, killing it in horror. And I just, people call her the new Scream Queen, and I'm so into it. Like, she is amazing in this movie. It is just, like, absolutely beautiful. Um, it begs for repeat viewing, so you can catch a lot of little Easter eggs or things you're not used to seeing. It's a big O to classic horror. I mean, it just does so much. And that can be to its detriment, I think. But, again, like, I just, Peel is such a good filmmaker, he just is really doing some crazy shit, and I absolutely admire and respect him for that. So that's why Us is my number five. Yeah. Um, as an aside, shout out to Winston Duke's thighs. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> he uh, he fills out a bed very well. He um, fills out those boxers pretty well, too. Hell, hell, hell yeah, he does. Um, <laughs> joking aside, yeah, I I think part of the reason why a lot of people might struggle with this movie is that I, I feel like viewers are more literal now than they have ever been. Yeah. Where it's like, they're so focused on, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, that doesn't, I don't understand how that could happen. Or I think there's a big plot hole here. Like, we're so focused on on plot that we kind of aren't paying as much attention to the subtext or paying attention to yeah, the themes. I agree. Partly because it's it's more difficult to um, think about, I guess, than it is to just go in and enjoy the next Marvel movie. No shade to Marvel, but kind of shade to Marvel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I, I so I feel like that there's that kind of disconnect. Because most of the complaints I've seen is, like, well, that the third act just didn't make sense. Or or this didn't make sense. Or I... I really there's people living in in under the ground like but i'm like do you not see everyone like just suspend disbelief for a little bit guys it's good for you let your mind run wild like it's okay you can do that yeah um so i i and i kept going back and forth on whether to to put this one on my list because like i i mean if you've been reading my stuff you know that i wrote an article about this movie. very good article Um, about this movie Thank you. But so there's like there's like a personal attachment to it. I just I don't know. At the end of the day, when I was looking at the movies, I wanted to focus on others. But I, I'm so glad that it's on your list. I yeah. do think I do think it needs to be talked about. I think it is one of the best movies of this year. Yeah. And I also think Jordan Peele did something where he put an, like a black family in a movie and didn't make it about race. And I think that's also really important. I think. It's like there's racial subtext, but at the same time, it's like he didn't make it as get like when where Get Out was very obviously very much about racial tension. This one isn't as much about that, but still puts a black family at the center of the narrative to be like, look, you can put any family in this like like any racial family in the center of it, and it doesn't change it. And I think that's important. Like we need to be putting right. like making films about black families in these horror situations that aren't just about race because there's still people and i think it's a very important thing to see in the genre that is 
it's very white. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, to to kind of piggyback off that, the thing I think that makes this in some ways a better movie than than Get Out, at least from an artistic perspective, is that there's so many different things you can read about it. Like get out had a point. It had a very specific point of what it was trying to say. This, I mean, like I said, I, I wrote an article about how it kind of reminded me of, of being stuck in the closet. Like there's, there's so many different readings people are, are, are taking from this. And I think that is what makes art art. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I, I, I agree. And the more I think about it and hearing you talk about it, the more I feel like I should have included it on my list. But but here we are. I mean, that's the problem with lists, right? I think we're talking about art. We're talking about movies that our opinions might change in the future. Yeah, and I like, know my opinions changed on my movies last year. Yeah. And like, and, I just, even looking at my list now, it just feels, redu- it just, it feels very reductive and it is reductive, but I think it's, a, it's regardless of the order, we're talking about movies that had an impact on us and mm-hmm. made us feel things and i think that's important regardless of order i mean this order seems very, is very arbitrary for me but it's fine yeah <laughs> it's fine yeah okay well, that's a good choice yeah number four number four my number four is bliss okay i figured you're um, i figured you were gonna have it farther up too yeah i this movie just it knocked me on my ass yep. um i I love I, I just I, I loved it. I loved every single moment of this yep. movie. It just this sort of like kaleidoscope, colorful downward spiral descent into hell set to a rockin' fucking soundtrack and mm-hmm. just the images that are on screen and the performances and the fact that um Joe Begos, I guess, is known in the industry for being kind of an asshole and the fact that like he has this this female character who being a completely unlikable asshole that is kind of a stand-in for himself but it's a character that you don't get to see hero uh, women heroes get to be like she is the protagonist yep. and she's not very likable and you don't really get to see that much and so the fact that it's a gender bent character and it's this like just the the third act just the things that happen in it yeah. it was like <laughs> the violence the gore the mix of like of sex and and death and just i just it it pulled me in and by the third act i was like this movie injected into my drugs i want to be on this this kind of bliss that it's on it just it's it's a a fucking amazing movie and it has probably the best last shot in the movie i've seen this year yes i agree yeah so that that's my number four my number four my number four is tigers are not afraid Okay. Um, I finally saw this movie. Um, I came out, so it's been it's been talked about for a couple of years now. I'd missed it at every festival or like any opportunity to see it, but it finally came to Shutter this year. Um, and it it's like a dumpster dump truck ran over my heart. It's such a good. We talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, mm-hmm. That this is Isa Lopez's movie about a very real issue of the children who are left behind after their parents are murdered by cartel members. And it's a, it's like a fairy tale look at it, but it is, it is very much reflective of a very real and horrifying issue happening in Mexico right now. And she takes the subject matter and it's, it, she's still very real, makes it very sad, but still injects this kind of like whimsy to it, like a childlike perspective on it. And it's a very interesting way to look at how kids deal with trauma and how kids are forced to grow up. And it is just a beautiful film. Um, 
again, another example of like horror can be political and still very effective. And it, it gives audi- it shows audiences like it's the gear of international horror showing audiences things in America that they probably never thought about. And Guillermo del Toro loved it. And it's again, we talked about, we talked about this. I think Terry brought this up last week or the week before. It's very similar in a way to Pan's Labyrinth and showing how children deal with trauma and how children have to grow up very quickly in like these horrifying situations. And it's yeah. just absolutely gorgeous and just and absolutely devastating. Boy, oh boy, did I cry. Whew. Um, whew, boy, but it's gorgeous. I mean, yeah. I'm going to piggyback on this because this is my number three. Okay, cool. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so so we can continue this conversation yeah. because, uh, yes, like you said, this movie, f- it feels like a Guillermo del Toro horror fairy tale. It operates kind of on the same, same wavelength as The Devil's Backbone and, like you said, Pan's Labyrinth. But what makes this feel a bit more pertinent to me is that while he used the past to kind of make comments on fascism and the horrors of of the day she is isa lopez is ripping things straight from the headlines and it's it's focusing on the now and it feels so so much more pertinent this year with everything that's going on with uh the the border and with attention centers and all this kind of like stuff it feels like this is Focusing on characters that don't often get a voice. Yep. And that is like the orphans that are left after um, the cartels come in and, and kill their parents. And so it's these kids living on the streets. It's these kids having to grow up way too fast and finding found families and trying to come together to survive a situation that no child should ever have to go through. And, what I also love about it is that the the supernatural aspect of it, the ghosts, are literally the people, the forgotten people that are are been killed by the cartels, and all they want is the the, the ability to tell their story. And yep. so the fact that you have this filmmaker that is giving voice to the voiceless is just it's a powerful movie. And it was on it was on a, like a special mention last year on my top. 10 of the year because at the point when I made that list I saw it at Telluride again last year and the fact that it hadn't at that point had any US distribution just really broke my heart because it was such it had been spending it had spent so much time I remember listening to Shockwaves like I think the year before and it was doing festival runs there and it was doing festival runs last year Mm -hmm. and it was doing festival runs this year it's just this movie is a movie that would not stop and I I think it's so amazing that Shudder picked it up and I'm so glad that people are able to finally watch it because it just, it, it's a very powerful movie. It is. It's a very powerful movie. And like you said, it gives voices to people that would never have a voice before. And yeah, it's just very good. Yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. Me too. And any other year it would be my number one. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so that was my number three. Wow, <laughs> I think we're getting into it. What's your What's your number three? My number three is Starfish. Okay. So I was wondering if this was going to show up on your list. <laughs> I don't know why this movie got under my skin the way it did this year, but I absolutely fucking love Starfish. And like, I am fr- just as full disclosure, I f- 
Al White, the director, and I are, are mutuals on Twitter. We are friends. That does not affect this place on this list. I just want to put that out mm-hmm. there so everyone knows. I saw this movie, and I was lucky actually to see it in theaters because I watched it on as a screener, and then I actually he came to Chicago with one of his associate producers to show them to show the film and to talk about it. And oh wow. It was really cool. It was awesome. It was like a tiny theater in Chicago called Facets. So if you're in Chicago and want to go to a cool indie theater, Facets, you should go there. And it was just like this amazing experience. And, you know, sometimes I have a lot of feelings. And I've talked to Al about this, about like a man directing a woman and like telling a story. But this was such a well done film about looking at grief and experiencing grief and like what grief looks like and really getting into someone's head when they are alone but then the movie is also about the apocalypse and how the main character sets off the apocalypse in while exploring her dead friend's apartment. And then it's like grief and the apocalypse and these really weird stylistic changes and interdimensional changes. And it's such a weird movie, but it is so beautiful and melancholy. And I haven't stopped listening to the soundtrack since I started listening to it when this first came out. It is my favorite soundtrack of any movie. Um... And it's just such an emotion. I have such an emotional attachment to it. I think in terms of just like being seen as like a female character and like going through these emotions, like these emotional things, and it making it look ugly and beautiful and hard. And it's just a really beautiful portrayal of grief to the backdrop of the apocalypse. And it just stuck with me all year. So it's my number three. Yeah, um, man. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's a movie that I I really I really enjoyed as well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, enjoyed might not be the right term. Okay, <laughs> like it, it's really good. Yeah, um, it's, but like it's a good first feature. It really is, film and it it really felt it really felt like going through what depression feels like, right? So yes, it's, it, it felt very. Um, purposefully i i mean i when i when i talk about this film i always i always feel like i sound um negative about it but it felt kind of aimless but i think that's purposeful yeah because i feel like that it it's the movie itself is is emblematic of going through um through depression and that feeling of like i don't want to get out of bed but i kind of have to get out of bed and that feeling of like i don't know what to do with my life now Mm -hmm. and there's there's aspects of that so i i thought i think it was a i think it's a very well done movie i love i agree i love the soundtrack um yeah i think it helped i think it, I, I saw it at a point in my life like when i was in grad school and when i was like really kind of starting to really come to terms with perhaps the severity of my mental illness i think it came mm-hmm. out at the right time where i felt very seen and very understood um and felt like i saw how i felt on screen and i think that had a lot to do with why it's so high on my list and why i enjoyed it so much i think a lot of times when I see these movies, it definitely helps push them up on my list just in my emotional state. Well, that's the good thing about art, right? Like being able to see your journey and your experience on screen and to like connect with something and, and realize that you're not alone and that, that there's other feelings out there. I I think that's I think that's what I love about. Yeah. About art. Yeah, exactly. And. I completely understand why this is on on your list. Yeah. It's a really good it's a really good movie. I've been the very loud champion of this movie too on Twitter, so mm-hmm. I would I was going to be surprised if it wasn't on your list to be perfectly <laughs> honest cuz no, I know fair. how much yeah. you, it 
I know how much it resonates with you. Yeah. And that's awesome. Yeah. I think that's good. All right. Okay, we're getting... This is the last All one, right. guys. Number two. Yep, this is the last one for, for today. And my number two... I went back and forth on whether this should be a number one or number two. And in the end, uh, I had to go with another choice. But this movie is Parasite. My number two is also Parasite. Is it really? Yay! Yes. Wow, that's awesome. Um, so we can kind of talk about it together. But basically, I think that this is um, Bong, uh, Bong Joon-ho operating at the top of his game. We kind of talked a little bit about it in a previous episode. But I think that everything from his thematic goals to the way he's he shoots it to the to the story to everything about it is just amazing and i and i love that i, I love that a korean film has, has been making as much waves as it has I been i cannot here even begin to, to state my excitement about this like bong joon ho is on like jimmy fallon he's on saturday mm-hmm. night live like this is ridiculous like i don't know what happened i don't know why like how this this movie pressed the button but it fucking did, and I'm so happy. Yeah, like I, I it, it's it's weird because when I when I first saw it, I was like, this is this is obviously him at his at his best, but it wasn't my favorite movie of his. And the more I started like thinking about it, the more it like started moving up my list of of my favorites of of his of his work. And now I, I just I think. I think it's a flat-out masterpiece. It is. And, like, people... I've heard people talk about... I, we, we can't spoil this, because, guys, like, you have to see this movie to see it, like, no. to understand. And, like, you might not think it's a horror movie, but, like, please just watch it to understand why it's on our list. Um, it is just, like... The pacing and the characterization and the architecture and, like, the use of space. Like... Yes. Holy shit. Like, everything is just perfectly planned out, it feels like. It's just mm-hmm. exquisite the way that he constructs each scene and constructs dialogue and just get, creates a, such a scathing look at the wealth, like wealth disparity in Korea and like the way that the rich view the poor and like the way that people of like who don't have as much money and who aren't affluent are like what they're willing to do to like to like to claw their way to the top, like. Mm-hmm. It's just, I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. It sounds so cheesy to say that, but, like, this movie did not feel like two and a half hours. Like, No. And, and like, a lot of Korean movies are this long, and I, I actually wrote a piece about I Saw the Devil for Nightmare on Film Street, plugging myself, um, about, like, another Korean movie. Um, that, like, these, these movies are so long, but I think what they do so well is, like, really capture the human condition in a way that I don't think American cinema does. I think they dedicate a lot of time to capturing the human condition through violence and through like yep. intense states of emotion, whether that be grief or anger or like extreme happiness. And I think mm-hmm. like that's what makes Korean movies stick out. There was this piece that came out a while ago that like was very unfortunately naive about like, Korean movies being vicious and too intense and violent. And I, not to shame this person, this writer, I just. I don't think she was as familiar with the genre. I think she had an idea for a piece and wrote about a genre of film that perhaps she wasn't totally an expert on, and that's fine, but she basically made it sound like all Asian people are mad, and like that's not the oh, case wow. at all. Um, it was basically like, why are all these Asian movies full of rage? And I'm like, well, it's not, it's not just rage. It's, like, there's a lot that 
Asian movies say, but she was saying Asian movies and, like, making it sound like this huge thing was only talking about, like, Korean movies. And I'm like, ooh, there's, like, a lot of weird generalization going on in here, etc. But anyway, Parasite, like, I don't know. That's just, it's a, that's a whole other conversation. But it's just fascinating how people can see these movies as being totally full of rage. And they're full of rage, but, like, other emotions, too. And, like, looking at rage in a very nuanced way. It's not just, like, anger, anger, anger. But it's, like, anger from, like, different perspectives and, like, in very, like, kind of needling ways, I think. Yeah, I, um, I... when I went to go see this with uh, with my friends and they and like I, I kind of told a story already on one of the episodes, but they weren't used to Korean cinema. This might have been the first Korean movie that they had ever seen. And they're watching this and they're laughing through the first half. And they're like, I thought this was a thriller. I thought this was like a horror movie. And I'm like, just just wait. Just wait, because I I knew without knowing what was going to happen, I knew it was going to take a turn because that's that's how a lot of Korean film is. But it it's not always just this violence or horror or like that kind of negative emotion like you're talking about. It it's full of different emotions. Like yep. this movie is is hilarious. It is. It's, it's, it's so hilarious. Funny. It's. I feel like Bong Joon-ho is really good at creating these, like, funny, fucked-up stories. You know what I mean? Like, the host mm-hmm. sort of has that. Snowpiercer has that. Um, I haven't seen Oak Jug because I refuse. It makes me cry. Um, oh, God. It's so good. I know. I need to see it. It just seems... But I just feel like all of his movies are able to strike this cry. really dark balance. The ones I have the yeah. ones I have personally seen. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing that... Um, his last few movies um, have been... I would say that they kind of are a little bit more on the cartoony side, like not necessarily cartoony, but like just weird characters. Like you have the host family that are a little, you know, they're very odd. And then Snowpiercer is just full of just bizarreness. And then you have Okja with like Jake Gyllenhaal playing this manic, um, like uh, nature uh, host. And it just, there's so many like weird out there, bizarre characters in it and then you have this movie that just feels a lot more realistic i guess yeah it definitely feels much more grounded in like reality than grounded yeah and i i just i think i think it's i think it's a masterpiece i think it's absolutely fantastic and i'm so glad that he's finally getting a lot of the recognition outside of um well in, in the united states at least but. I agree. And I also think that it'll maybe hopefully get people more interested in, in like South Korean cinema or Korean cinema. Yeah. I think they're, I mean, old boy, sympathy for Lady Vengeance, sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. I saw the devil, um, third handmaiden, hand, the handmaiden thirst. Um, I'm naming a lot of Park Chan Wook movies. <laughs> um, <laughs> mother, mother, <laughs> um, Actually, you know what we can do? If you guys aren't familiar with Korean horror, um, we'll, I can find a good letterbox link and put it in the show notes. So, so if any of you are interested in more Korean horror, we can plug that. Um, and you guys can Perfect. see that. Because it's really worth digging into. I think some of the... The Wailing. Another one. The wailing. Some of the best oh. horror movies I've seen are from Korea. And I think they just deserve more love. So, I agree. 100%. So, And then we will not tell you our first picks. We will tell you those next episode, like we said. Yeah, but people can probably guess what mine is. Yeah, people can probably guess what mine is, too. (laughs) (laughs) We made it pretty obvious. But 
It's so funny. I can't believe how different our lists were. I was I'm actually pretty surprised how different our I lists were. I am too, actually. I was I was kind of afraid that ours would be very similar and it would just be a lot of repetition, but that's not the case. Yeah, I actually like it's nice. And it's nice to hear like what resonated with us earlier in the year. Because what I wanted to do was really look back at the beginning of the year. Because I feel like I've I'm so focused on things I saw when I'm trying to cram in 2019, like November, right. December. I'm like, wait, I need to reach back and really remember what I saw like in February and March because I had like completely forgot. Thank you for thank you to Letterboxd. Shout out to Letterboxd for helping. I know, right? <laughs> helping my memory. I don't know how I would survive without Letterboxd. I know, from it's a... <laughs> ridiculous. It's just like so helpful for me to actually remember like what I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, that's our favorites of 2019 yeah so uh, thank you i know it was a longer episode thank you guys for sticking with yeah, us um and i i know that the next this episode and the next episode isn't our normal routine but we have some exciting guests lined up as well for uh 2020 and um yeah 2020 is going to be a yeah. great year we're going to start it off with a bang so i'm excited for all of you guys to hear what Me we too. have in store yeah all right. So thanks, guys, for listening. Um, let us know what you think of our top 10 of 2019. What did we miss? What are you excited we included? Um, make sure to tweet at us at Scarred Podcast or send us an email, um, scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear what you think of the best movies of 2019 or what your personal best were. So let us know. Um, thanks for listening, and guys. Stay creepy. And until next time. When you pick up some scratches, cause you want a fun break. The playful way you scratch is the next choice you should make. You can make your dog's leg kick and scratch with that. You could even grab a laser pointer and use your cap. You could build yourself a homemade scratching machine. Or use a piece from your chest set. Go ahead, grab the queen. Scratch like a DJ with your record player. A cactus could scratch off that scratchable layer. Cause when it comes to scratching, there's a million playful ways. Thanks to scratches from the California lottery, a little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase, play, or claim. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>